Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Outsource Podcast. This episode, we uh, it is the uh, second day of 2021, and so we're just gonna go over 2020, just because uh, so many things happened in in 2020, and um, I think it was sort of a, you know, like a different or a unique year compared to you know, what usually happens in the course of uh, you know, the 365 days. So, uh, together with me today, I have Jonathan Kim. Hi, everyone. And we were, you know, going to just do more of a, uh, a relaxed podcast um, and just kind of talk about what happened in the year and, uh, I don't know, see if anything interesting comes out of the conversation. Because certainly a lot of interesting things happened in, in 2020, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. Just just to get into it, I guess. I mean, like, would you? How would you say the year is for you? Was it like a good one or average? Like personally? One? Yeah, personally. Oh, I think it was a, it was a really good year for me. I mean, I graduated and sent off law school applications. Um, overall, had a better idea of what I want to do with my life. So, aside from, I don't know, all the stresses of the world which happens every year anyways um it was a pretty pretty good year for me how about you yeah i i'd say the same thing i don't know if i've really talked about um really like what i'm doing with my life right now but um kind of in the beginning of this year i i was accepted into a university on transfer uh as a junior and then i just didn't take it because i uh you know i wasn't sure if um, I wasn't sure if I really knew what I wanted to do and if taking that, you know, if going to university at that time for that major was what I wanted to do. So I, you know, I, I, I took a break and decided to really put in the effort to figure out what I wanted to do and what I cared about. And so having been able to, to really settle that and do that during 2020, um, during the course of that break, um, is for me like a you know really good it feels really good to sort of you know find um purpose and and structure where it really felt like you didn't have any before so yeah i i think 2020 was pretty good for me uh, um i i also had you know like a couple pretty well-paying jobs uh considering like you know that they were part-time i only worked maybe 10 weeks out of the year and i'm walking away with you know probably 11 11k um after taxes it's pretty good you know yeah that's that's really really good yeah um so yeah having you know having the opportunity to really like uh figure out myself and to kind of like take a step back from everything because i I really haven't i really didn't have time to do that you know because i i went straight from high school over to singapore then I enlisted into the military, and I I really didn't have like a long holiday, you know, more than maybe a week or two, all the way until um, I came back. But I I went straight into community college right after that, um, and so up until now I, I really didn't get a step to take back to step back really, um, and so it was really nice to do that this year. Um, and, and, and like the, all of the, you know, like the lockdowns and everything kind of made it like opportune, you know, it's not like I was missing out or anything. 
Yeah, I think uh, for me, you know, as much as it uh, impeded on the ability to do certain activities, it was a good uh, kind of period of time where I could just be by myself and have that period of time for self-reflection as opposed to just like just working or just doing you know the things that I was doing beforehand like business as normal yeah I've definitely seen and heard um, a lot of people saying that 2020 was like a, a really good year for them in, in terms of like personal you know either like professionally or or creatively stuff like that so um yeah I, I, you know as much as it's you know like not a good thing if you know if you had someone you know someone you know like passed away from covid or something like that um i don't think you know that that really like you know like makes it like a bad year for everyone right because like i mean i don't know i i listened to like the radio a lot as work as i was working um for for ups this this season and on the on the radio, like the the radio DJs just constantly talk about how bad the year was. You know what I mean? Um, or, or you go on like social media, and everyone's talking about like, oh, 2020 was the worst year ever, right? And it's like, uh, you know, it's like sure, like bad things happen to some people, but that doesn't that doesn't like convert the entire year to being a bad year for everyone, right? And it's kind of it's it's kind of weird to me that that's sort of what happened, right? Like everyone just decided together that that they thought, you know, 2020 was the worst year ever for everyone, right? Yeah, it's kind of like a weird bandwagon, like, popular thinking. Whereas I think, I mean, every year is unique to every individual. And, you know, the best year that the public deems as, you know, the best year could be really, really bad for some people. So it's like, doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter whether or not it's a good year or a bad year, but it's like, it's, it's just up to you as an individual, whether or not the year was productive or not productive or, or good or bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was your, uh, your holiday season? It was nice. Um, I was working beforehand prior to the holidays. So it was kind of nice to just take a, a short breather before jumping into work, um, starting next week. So I had about two and a half weeks off just time to you know spend time with family um spend time with my hamsters uh watch a couple movies yeah how about you i know that you were busy you were busy this holiday season yeah yeah i was, I was pretty busy i guess um working for working for ups but um i enjoyed it i think i think it was an interesting time to be working as a sort of like a service worker um and like sort of having a lot of like interpersonal contact when that kind of like isn't a thing that happens right now hmm. um uh, i thought it was really interesting um uh i don't know maybe a, it, it's like a a better time to be working as a service worker because like people are like nicer and um like more grateful you know when you're like delivering like christmas presents as opposed to you know i don't know what um yeah i i enjoyed it it was a it's pretty cool, pretty interesting. Um, That's good. Yeah. Uh, it, gave, it gave me a lot of time to like, I don't know, sort of just like, um, you know, sort of like think about stuff. Because like once I once I got into a routine of of what I was doing, it's like it wasn't something that 
you know, like I really had to think about, like I, I knew my, my route, I knew all the houses on my route, you know, I had a system for, um, you know, like sorting all the packages. And so I could just kind of do my thing and, and, uh, you know, like relax and think about whatever. So, yeah. I mean, you, you ever think about, for example, right. You ever think about like how like funny Christmas is like as a concept. You mean like, no, like what like aspect of Christmas? Well, I mean, just like the, like the, I don't know, like the popular conception of Christmas, right? Of like Santa, right? Like that whole that whole story is just so funny, you know? Like there's this like fat white guy, you know? And he's got like this sweatshop full of foreign workers, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then like, if you believe that this fat white guy with the foreign workers if you like believe in him enough, then he will like provide you with material prosperity, you know. And then, uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I I just thought that was really funny. Yeah, it almost seems like one of those, um, you know, like ancient cultural traditions or myths, like in like in China or or Korea or Japan, but it's something that was like manufactured in the past several hundred years and that people like heartily participate in now well, it's like it's like so modern right like it could it, like it could just be like you know santa could just be like bill gates right it's like there's this like this is like old white guy and you know he he's protecting your material interests and making your life good and you just kind of like believe you know believe in the system believe in him then he's gonna do good things for you right just, just Santa, Santa is just like Rockefeller or something, you know. <laughs> but only for children, though, right? Never for adults. Well, I mean, if the, that's because the adults don't believe, right? You, you gotta believe in, you gotta believe in the system. Oh, that's like all the Hallmark um, movies. It's like, oh, it's because of you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. adult, You've lost the faith, and so that's why your life is like shitty now. Yeah, yeah. It's because you don't, you don't, you don't trust the system enough to like bring you stuff. And that's why you're not, you don't have what you want. That, that's that's why you just have coal instead of oil. Yeah, exactly. So I think, uh, when, you know, when people think about 2020, going into the future, um, I, I saw someone say something that I thought was pretty interesting um, on the internet. Actually, it was, I think it was Canbot, right, on on uh, on Twitter, you know, he said that 2020 would be like Woodstock for for a lot of people, and that people would like never escape it. And I thought that was really an like a sort of really interesting comparison to make, even if it was sort of done in jest, right? Because you know, if you think about like the the Woodstock music festival during the Vietnam War, you know, and like the hippie movement, it's like you know, people the Woodstock was sort of like a a really like unique thing that happened within kind of changing times and unique circumstances. And nothing really, really, I mean, like, we still have music festivals, you know, like, obviously, right? But nothing really exactly like Woodstock ever happened again, right? And, and uh, you know, sort of, you know, in the way, just because Woodstock was just kind of like that, was kind of, like, special. Because it's, like, the first time that, anything like that had really happened before and you know all these people came together and sort of like in 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 sort of one mind to 
you know, all pro protest the same thing uh, with, with the same beliefs and, and the same values. You know, they all got high together. They all like wore, you know, it was the hippie movement, right? Yeah, like a, like a cultural phenomenon kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And the thing about Woodstock is, you know, it, it had its time and it did its thing. But a lot of people, like, the fact that it never happened again, a lot of people, you know, kept living looking for Woodstock, right? They kept waiting for another Woodstock to happen, right? And it's like sort of like, you know, this perception of the hippie movement as, as sort of carrying on, but like having lost like its, its life or, or, or its vitality, you know what I mean? You know, like there were all these hippies, but actually now they were just druggies. And it, it sort of like lost the meaning that it had at the time, right? And it's like all these people were looking for Woodstock again, or living as if they were still stuck in that day or that time, and not really able to find something new or to have like a real structure to their lives, right? And I think it's possible that 2020 could end up sort of really being the same thing. Um, for for people who have lived through this year um because it 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 really sort of is the same way right because it, it, it had a lot of it's it's a really unique circumstance um in the way that uh it, compared to normal normal life as remember re remember it right um there was a ton there's a ton of of political sentiment of ideological sentiment and there's this real possibility that you know sort of Whatever people experienced in 2020, like it will be more than anything they can really find again in the years which follow this year, right? Like going into the future. There's real possibility that the way that people believe or, or, or the way that they act going into the future will sort of all be based upon whatever they experienced during 2020, right? And whatever conclusions that they drew in 2020 or you know, whatever they participated in during this time, right? Uh, because, I, you know, the way that um, people uh, perceive things like uh, the elections or or government action or, you know, the way that people really involved themselves in what was happening and things like uh, the BLM riots, right? Um, voter turnout this year, you know, it it, it really set this year apart from other years, right? And there's a real possibility that, you know, whatever people, you know, found this year or, or, or believe this year is not something they're going to be able to sort of escape from going, going forward. Uh, uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I think that um, if people, you know, the amount that people internalized or, or were affected by whatever happened in 2020 um, will definitely influence how much they will latch on to it going forward. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily like unique to a year or a cultural event. I mean, like you see this with, with folks who have um, family members pass, right? That if, if it's a very close family member, um, someone who's significant to them, then it takes them a while um, to, to sort of work through that, right? And some people, um, they may just never work through that and they'll always be in that constant kind of state of grief, right? And, and not be able to, to, to make amends with the past and to move forward. 
And in that same way, like you said, tons of things happened this year. Um, and as much as people, as much as things happened in the year, I think it's more about people internalizing what happened, like their perception of what happened. So to them, even if like, you know, their family members didn't die of COVID or, or something else, if they saw this year as a particularly, I don't know, stressful year because of the election and, and COVID and whatnot, and they internalize that for themselves, um, then moving forward might be kind of difficult for them. Whereas people who, who kind of look at this year, they say they were good, they were bad, um, but you know, I'm just going to keep living my life. I still have stuff to do, um, goals to achieve. Then I think the propensity of them latching on to this year or this past year um, is probably less. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and and because you know, people, you know, there's just this wide range of conclusions that anyone can draw, you know, sort of uh, going out of this year and into 2021, right? Like, um, you know, like they they could have lost a, a, someone during. To to coronavirus and but you know who 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 are they gonna blame for it you know if anyone if they're blaming someone they could be blaming China they could be blaming the U S government they could be blaming um, the U S you know like the general populace for for I don't know not following the lockdowns you know if if they participated in BLM riots they could uh, perceive it as being something like really good like oh like everyone banded together for a common cause. And, tried to go on the street and do something or they could see it as like a failure you know like well we went out and we did all this political action but what what came out of it you know uh and so this sort of all these different conclusions that anyone can draw from from what happened and so it's really not possible to you know for me to sit here and predict like oh you know oh, because of all these things happened in 2020 you know like we're going to see this kind of political movement going to the future like i you know i don't i don't really think there's any way to uh, really imagine that kind of thing, but what I'm trying to say here is, I, I think it's really possible that 2020 could end up being a really like formative year in the way that you know sort of people po- perceive politics and 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 the ideology ideology going into at least like into the rest of this decade. Yeah, I think as much as I mean, I was talking um, about this kind of topic with some of my professors at university and. They were discussing how when they were um, in their graduate programs during um, the 9-11 attacks and their perception, you know, because they're at that point, they had been an adult, you know, cognitive adult for, for a little while. Um, and just seeing the kind of shift in people's mentality um, and people's attitudes after 9-11, that that kind of same shifting in perspective or influence um, we could totally uh, be expecting something like that within this decade. Well, you know, that's totally true. But at the same time, I really think that in comparison to 2001, um, you know, the, the, the United States government doesn't really have the same um, sort of uh, direct influence on, on the way that people think um, as they did at the time. You know, and, and, you know, the United States government really took control of the narrative at that time. And you were like, you know, uh, like we know who did this. This is the person who did this. We're gonna go and do something about it, right? And so there was this sort of there was a concrete narrative and there was concrete action that came out of it. And, you know, regardless of whether that was true or not, 
or whether that was a good idea or not, you know, I think generally speaking, public sentiment was was with the United States government. Um, but if I mean, if you compare that to to now, you know, really, it's almost an even split. You know, either way of you know, did the government do good or bad, and whose fault is all this? And, um, I, I I really think that of course there's a lot of uh, similarities between 2020 and, and and 2001, but I think you know there's a lot of things that really set apart 2020 from 2001 as well, um, especially in terms of um, sort of the way that our societies. Uh, you know, almost uh, fragmenting apart and, you know, everyone really has, you know, split up to believe their own thing and there's a lack of real um, ideological leadership in this country in terms of um, the ability of, of uh, those in charge to sort of guide the way that the public perceives events like what happened, you know, BLM, COVID, all that. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um those points just that in the same way that 2001 there was a kind of pers uh, perspective shift in people that 2020 has also shifted the perspectives of people as well not necessarily in the same way yeah i agree with that i don't know we, i i guess at this point we can talk about um sort of uh, some of the things that happened uh, in more detail, sort of discuss it um, uh, in terms of, well, I, I guess coronavirus, right? Uh, and, and the lockdowns is something which kind of dominated um, the year, right? Uh, on, you know, on top of all the crazy stuff that happened. I don't know, what do you think about coronavirus? Uh, do you think that, uh, you know, like there should be a lockdown? You think that people should wear masks, this kind of thing? Do I think that there should be a lockdown, like a nationwide lockdown right now? Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, no, I don't think that there should be a nationwide lockdown. I think that, um, and full disclosure, right? I'm not a healthcare uh, expert. I, I didn't study public health. Um, so these are just kind of like my very uneducated, uninformed opinions uh, about some of these issues. But I think that one thing that um, is very, very misconstrued just with people's kind of perspective about this thing is that what's happening in, let's say, California or Southern California is very different than what's happening in Montana or, or Idaho or, or even New York. And so I really believe in addressing things on a regional basis, on a local basis. So like having a nationwide lockdown, do I think that that kind of policy is necessary? Maybe not. Um, going to maybe a regional lockdown to Southern California? I don't know. Um, I'm not going to say no, because I, I honestly don't know, like, is it going to improve things, not improve things? But then on top of that, you know, it's it's a very tough choice because at this point we've been dealing with this pandemic for almost a year now, right? Um, it's had a considerable toll on businesses, um, on unemployment, right? And if the question was posed maybe all the way at the beginning of the of the pandemic, should we have this tight lockdown? I probably would have said, yeah, that we'll we'll do it and we'll see what happens. Um, but now at this point, the question, you know, there's a lot more factors to consider. 
uh, it's more of a confusing and difficult question to answer. So I, there's not really like an answer to the question, but it's just very complex. It's complicated. And I don't feel particularly equipped to, to say yes. You know, Orange County should have a complete lockdown for the next five weeks, right? Um, or versus four weeks or six weeks or whatever. I don't know. And I feel like uh, no one in particular, even healthcare professionals, have that kind of particular answer. That They don't have a specific answer like that. Um, but it does raise the question, right, of if there is a government um, kind of policy or, or narrative or approach to, to solving a thing, right, how much of that do we perceive as legitimate, right, based off of quote-unquote facts? Like a proper assessment, you know, a proper uh, dealing with a problem. Or how much of it is just kind of like hedging themselves, liability. Obviously, tons of stuff is just for liability reasons. Um, and those kind of questions are, are, I think, very difficult to answer, probably unanswerable. Um, but yeah, I mean, what do you think? Just complex. Yeah, I mean, it is complex, you know, and. You know, I, I just something that you know I learned about during during at some point uh, was that uh, I was I was looking at you know the way that other countries were addressing the 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 pandemic and uh, I found out that you know like in Japan the federal government doesn't have the power to like force uh, people or businesses to like do stuff like they can only suggest things. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting. Um, I, th I think on like a regional or city level, they can, uh, you know, that the the cities might have more power over, you know, like the their districts and or something like that, you know. But at least the federal government has has no real power to do anything other than like oh, like declare a lockdown, but they can't actually enforce, you know, like like force you to do anything. Um, like within the powers of of their laws, um, and I just thought that was really interesting, um, because you know at least at least in terms of numerically, and of course there's a lot more circumstances here, but you know at least statistically Japan is doing way better of this, you know coronavirus thing than the United States is, right? And I just thought you know it's like, you know in in Japan they the government can't even force you to to stay home, they can't force you to do anything, and yet you know, it's going so much better for them. So so what are, you know, sort of the external circumstances, like the additional things there, which which mean that United States is different, right? Because if United States does have these powers, they, they can force you to stay home, they can force you to wear a mask, you know, they can force businesses to close, all this kind of thing. And yet, the, the virus is still spreading, you know, worse than it is in Japan. Um, then it does beg some questions, you know, like you know what's different between here and there. Um, but also, are, do are these measures actually effective? Do, you, do they do anything for preventing the spread of the virus, you know, other than causing you know economic recession, right? Um, and I, I think there's 
of course, there's a lot of things to consider, and I, I don't pretend to know everything about this. Uh, I'm certainly not willing to assume the blame for anyone who passes away from coronavirus. Um, but I just, I have to say that you know, if you look at it from a from a sort of management perspective, or right, or in terms of like like was this managed well? Did they do things in the right way? Did they? Did they really like you know enforce this lockdown to sort of uh, decrease the spread of the virus as much as possible while maintaining as much uh, economic activity as possible? Like the answer is a resounding no, right? Like it's sure like any you know you can make the argument that a lockdown was good for for you know preventing the virus, but if you were going to have the lockdown, then the way that it was done in the United States was. Um, you know, it was like corrupt and 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 uh, you know, negligent to the extreme. Um, and you know, at, at least that you know that's the best conclusion that I can sort of come up with. You know, in terms of what's happened here, right? Um, I certainly don't buy the narrative that like, oh, you know, if if people, if you know, if like. Like all these people who didn't want to follow the rules followed the rules instead, then like your grandma won't die, you know. I, I really hate it when I hear any you know anything along those lines. Oh, yeah. so you don't believe that 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 individual's specific grandmother would not have been saved <laughs> if no, all these well, random it, people, people thousands of miles away, didn't adhere so to the lockdown? Much. You know, it's like. You know, it's like, oh, like my grandmother just passed away from coronavirus. What, like, please stay home. You know, stuff like that. And it's like, well, you know, that's it's not really how sickness and illness works, right? Yeah, it's just an appeal to to emotion. Um. Yeah, but it's it's just you know, it's it's almost sort of, you know, it's just sort of it's just so depressing when people make that kind of. Uh, appeal about their own relatives right because it means that they truly believe you know like oh if if only the public had been more responsible then i wouldn't have suffered this loss to my family and that's i mean first of all it's you know there's no way of knowing that's true there's no it's really not a logical conclusion to draw but it's such a like a uh it's such a like depressing and, and and sad way of of viewing the public of viewing society, uh, you know, of, of sort of carrying around this idea of uh, everyone killed my grandmother. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, but but I think two points on that. Number one is that I don't particularly expect grieving folks to think logically or consistently, and so in that regard, it's kind of like whatever you can. They'll blame whomever or whoever they they want to because they're grieving. Um, but on top of that, like if they, you know, their true plea of saving lives or, or whatever, um, people really take like the least consistent, least strong approach, like argumentation, um, in order to support their claims. Cause it's all just based off of inconsistent logic, complete appeal to emotions. Like, even if you wanted to argue for for whatever policies that that you are um, advocating for, that like saying, oh well, if you you know if these people didn't go out and party or whatever, you know my grandma would still be alive, or your 
your family members might still be alive. Like, at that point, it's not, you know, that's not in good faith argument, right? It, you know, and you're totally right. Like, I don't mean to, you know, talk bad about, about grieving people, but, you know, it's like, like, this is the same narrative that you're, you're going to hear on the radio and advertising on the internet, politics, you know, it's just what everyone is saying right now. And it just absolutely is not, you know, it's just not a good conclusion or a good argument at all, you know. Oh, but if you disagree with it, then then you're a yeah, bad person. Yeah, but if you disagree you're, with you're, it, then you're a bad person and irresponsible and you don't care anymore. You hate saving people, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you hate your right. neighbors. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I don't know, man. You know, and it's like, I, I can't even really... You know, people people are talking about like about like these huge parties that are going on and stuff like that. It's like, oh, it's like everyone is like throwing parties, you know, or like getting together with the family for for the holidays and like and and people like just like really overlook the fact that like pretty much like all of the service sector is still functioning, you know, like all the factories are still running, stuff like this. Right? You know, Amazon still has its warehouses full of people like and it's like, you know, it's like you, you know, it's like nobody, nobody's really thinking about, about the work sector because, you know, like, I don't know, I guess people are just like, you know, middle class and they can run their, do their, their jobs from, from home, you know, over the internet. But it's like, you know, it's like, you know, I, 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 you know, obviously I'm not going to generalize, you know, uh, uh, you know, like, a, like the stories of a few individuals and say that's something which is indicative of, 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 of full trends. But, you know, I, I definitely saw a lot of instances of the internet of people talking about, you know, like how like, like these like older people or, or their grandparents or something like that, you know, it's like they, they didn't want to, to lose their pension. You know, they've been working for 20, 30, 40 years for a certain company. And, you know, they, 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 they needed to, uh, they, if they, they quit, you know, because of coronavirus, if they quit, so they didn't have to work. They were going to lose all of their, you know, all of the retirement benefits that they had been working towards for decades. And so they kept working and they caught coronavirus at their job, you know, doing, you know, sort of, you know, at, at a factory or whatsoever. And, and they passed away because of it, you know. And, and like, I think, and, you know, and like, these are, these are like the real stories, which are indicative of, of real issues within our society. Right. It's like, uh, you know, it's like and, and people don't people really aren't talking about this kind of thing. You know, they aren't fixating on 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 the narrative which really reveals, you know, like the like real issues that we could be addressing, you know, in terms of, you know, like why? Why is it that that, you know, these people in their 50s and their 60s are, you know, are risking their retirement benefits, uh, you know, so they. It's like they have to choose between working amidst the pandemic and their retirement benefits, you know, right? And it's like, like the the like this that's a real problem that's that's worthy of real discussion. And, and, and but instead, people want to talk about how like, you know, like they were at the store and someone didn't want to wear a mask. I I, I honestly just don't. I I don't get it. You know. I mean, I think. Um... Definitely part of it, right, is that most people 
are not really making these arguments or um, even having these discussions uh, holistically in a sense that they are um, very conscious of the things that they are, you know, that things are consistent or not consistent that they're trying to talk about or, or even like what you were describing, like real examples that reveal certain aspects of our society that are not discussed, but are still extremely important. And instead would rather the, you know, they would rather sort of resort to using emotional arguments or sensationalist arguments. Like no one on Twitter is going to have a discussion about this, but you know, one, there's one person in a Costco that doesn't want to wear a mask and that thing goes viral. Right. Like, <laughs> so people don't, genuinely want to have these conversations because honestly most of these people having the conversations or like trying to engage in this conversation like they don't know what the heck they're talking about um they don't even know where to start in terms of developing a position or a stance it's just kind of like i'm angry and i'm upset and i'm going to vent my anger and upsetness on the internet and look here, this person is refusing to wear a mask. I don't like that. You know, this, you know, fuck this person, right? So, like, people are not having, you know, people don't want to have a good faith effort to have a discussion. It's just going along with whatever the popular, uh, you know, whatever is popular. Yeah, and, and I, I, yeah, and, and I guess this is, you know, this is, you know, this is why, uh, like a strong leadership, a strong, uh, you know, whether that's political or whatever, you know, that's why like a leadership is important, you know, like for someone to, to be able to, uh, sort of, uh, lead popular sentiment in, in like, you know, what to be angry against, what be angry about, uh, you know, what to, uh, sort of what, what kind of narratives that, they adopt like you you know of course it'd be it'd be nice if everyone's willing to put in the effort to have good opinions but like yeah at the same time you can't really expect that right and that's sort of why you need uh someone in in society who or or parties in society which are able to um sort of guide public sentiment in a certain direction um and i really feel like we it's almost like we we don't have that right now right it's like it's like um sort of nobody is really guiding the narrative and and everyone is only interested in, in following it right because that's like the easiest thing to do right and like that's the easiest way to to run your company or to run your political party is like you you, you sort of clue into these trends and you just you just ride along with them rather than trying to um sort of guide the public sentiment in a productive and a progressive direction um that, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think a huge aspect of that is the idea of of risk taking, taking and liability, because for for someone or some entity to assume the you know that leadership capacity, or even attempt right to assume that leadership capacity, that's an in, you know incredible amount of liability that they are undertaking upon themselves, an incredible amount of risk. Like no one is going to be 100% correct in every aspect. Um, so of course people will be, you know, wrong 
um, on on certain issues. And it's just so much easier, right? From like at, at a personal level, um, if you are managing a company, it's just so much easier to kind of ride with the flow of popular opinion because that is the safest move. You know, why why develop a nuanced, researched, thought out um, perspective that may be false, that may be wrong, right? When you can just ride with the popular opinion, you know, people are pan your back, you're all on the same side, right? If that's what you value, right? Or if that is a, you know, in, in a way a deterrent, right? The risk is a deterrent, then, then why even try to uh, attempt to develop your own perspective or to assume that leadership capacity, right? There's no point. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and you know, not to say that like it's hopeless, right? I, I do think that I definitely think that sort of um, the way that maybe technology or the way that um, sort of services are being done uh, because of the internet, like there's some things about that which is sort of new and and changing and um, and that could sort of potentially lead to uh sort of disrupting the the current uh flow of things right and uh because uh it it sort of used to be that you have to have like you sort of had to have like inherit or be a part of um sort of like you know based on class um you had to have a certain amount of money or power in order to for your opinion to mean something right like like you 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 had to you know be in, in sort of this position of, of of like a social elite in order to reach a lot of people with whatever kind of um message or ideas that you wanted to uh show to the public but now right you know with like the rise of like the the youtube influencer and the twitch streamer you know it's like you know, there's like these like 20 year old kids who who have an audience of millions of people, and I'm and it's, it's and not to say that you know all of these kids actually have anything worth saying or, or worth or of bringing to the table. You know, like a lot of them just like you know scream at a webcam and then you know people watch that because it's entertaining for some reason. But it, it it does sort of open up this possibility where um you were sort of you know it is possible for a random you know just like a, a random person who you know maybe isn't coming from anywhere special to uh, sort of reach the the public uh the, reach the public eye and uh, and be able to sort of uh introduce their opinions to a wide audience um and it, it it there's this possibility that you know going to the future I, at least for now you know i am not it's not like i'm saying you know like youtubers rule the world or anything but i i think going into the future we it's possible that we're going to see you know like different ways of political campaigning you know different ways of 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 reaching people with ideas such that you know by disrupting the status quo of of things that you know 
we will see people who who are able to um, sort of escape that cycle of you know you have to um, go with the flow in order to be successful and break that cycle and and be able to do their own thing and provide something which is you know refreshing and 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 truly like different and like a realistic way of improving society or improving uh sort of or like a val you know a valuable ideology or narrative as opposed to the you know the the swamp of the swamp of nonsense that we have right now yeah for sure yeah i think that when you take a look at the history of um political thought that the points of kind of radical evolution um in the way that people approach problems or approach uh reality even was a result of these kinds of you know it was never the product of you know hundreds of years of this one way of thinking then like developing a new uh, a new approach it, it was always um you know a bunch of misfits or or unpopular people who kind of developed a way of thinking and either they you know pioneered it or they were able to have influential members of of the society um you know adhere to that or or advocate for it but we're not gonna have evolution if we're just going with the flow doing the normal thing um and you know yeah i'm not saying it's gonna be easy but i think there is hope i mean just look at <laughs> i mean just look at what happened for us personally this year um i think like how you were describing you know you were accepted into the university there was a huge uh opportunity for you to kind of just go with the flow in a sense right um because you kind of had a trajectory but taking the time off um working right those things you know a lot of people would not necessarily uh I've chosen that kind of route. They would have just said, "Well, the the opportunity for university is here. I could have transferred, um, you know, go on with my life, have a job, have a career, right?" Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, in in terms of in terms of sort of breaking uh, the cycle and breaking the status quo and sort of um you know sort of chain using using like uh the internet to to sort of um to, to sort of do that you know um i think there's a couple good examples of that actually from um some of the things that happened this year actually uh i don't know if you remember but i think earlier in this year was it earlier in this year or maybe it was some, around summer um, Iran shot down Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in right January um, uh, by accident because uh, you know they thought it was a they thought it was a 
uh, I don't know. I, I'm not going to pretend to be Iran and make excuses for them. But, you know, they shot uh, Iran and shot down a, a passenger airliner and a lot of people died. Um, and in the sort of in the, you know, sort of like the mess of media reports that came out of it, because at, at first Iran was denying that it was them. They were saying it was someone else. And, um, uh, so what happened was it was this uh, movement of of uh, of reporters trying to uh, figure out exactly what had happened and, and trying to lay down an exact um, scheme of events to say, you know, like what what happened here, who did it, um, where did the missile come from, and this kind of thing. Um, and uh, you know, nowadays, you know, people just see headlines and stuff, so they're not really going to know about this kind of stuff. But uh, right now, there's this uh, collective online, uh, a, a news media reporting collective called Bellingcat. They do a lot of uh, they do a lot of open source intelligence reporting, meaning they would use, in addition to you know conventional reporting work, they would use uh, openly available resources such as satellite imagery um, to 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 uh, to do their a lot of their reporting work. And their stuff has they've reported on a lot of things which are very major. You know they, they've done they they've done a lot of very interesting work, and you know they're worth taking a look at. The sort of the the ability of um, these people, you know, some of them are anonymous. They're like, you know, they're only like sort of public presence is through pseudonyms on the internet, you know, and and people like this are, you know, like using satellite imagery and, and just by like sitting at home on their computer, they're making these great um, sort of findings of like, oh, this is the, you know, like the missile battery that shot down this plane on this day and this is where it was and this is a truck that brought it in you know and, and they're looking at you know pictures and videos that people are posting online on social media um and you know and it's these sort of internet randoms who are able to do work that is very meaningful and has a big impact on the way that the world comes to perceive um what what actually happened you know and it's people like this who are, you know, as a result, getting their work published in things like the New York Times, um, you know, like prestigious uh, media publications, right? And, it, and this is just, you know, like another example of, of, you know, like in, in the age of, of uh, you know, fundraising like Patreon, um, in the age of Twitter and social media networking, that people like this can be empowered to provide a set of, you know, like a, a set of facts, a, a narrative of events that isn't tainted by the sort of corporate agendas that you would expect from publications where where there's this whole, you know, there are all the shareholders, and, uh, the advertising, and, and all these competing interests um, for a publication like the Washington Post, like the New York Times, where you can't really trust anything that comes from these places, you know, it's it's sort of like this new dynamic of because of the internet and because we have things like uh, GoFundMe and Patreon, where people are willing to pay someone 
not to do a specific kind, you know, to do work in a specific way and produce a specific result, but to just like do what they want to do, right? Where where you have um, organizations like Popular Front, which has grown tremendously in popularity this year. Um, it's a great uh, reporting uh, resort, like a re- uh, yeah reporting media outlet uh, run by this guy named Jake Hanrahan out of the UK. Um, and he's great. He he you know he doesn't ever he doesn't ever do advertising for like large corporate firms or anything like that. Um, he's mainly funded by Patreon, right? And so he does a great podcast. Everyone should go check it out. But you know it's you know it's it's this great thing where because people are willing to devote a small portion of of their money and their available money to to pay someone uh, on like a monthly basis and say like, hey, we believe in in what you can do. So we're going to give you this money and then you can go and, you know, do whatever you want with it, you know. And so uh, Popular Front went to, uh, well, they went to the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone protest and they did some reporting on that. Um, Jake recently went to Europe and did some reporting on illegal 3D printed guns, you know, and 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 it's allowing and this it's it's this really sort of novel thing where because certain people are willing to devote their money to stuff like this to allowing people to go and do whatever they want that that these people are allowed to to present news or or media or or fact uh, or their you know like writing or podcast in the way that they want to right not not really um not really uh you know, sub subject to the the whims of of uh, like the elite or or money in the same way that um, the conventional corporate media would 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 have to to run its its business, right? And not only that, but it allows Popular Front to release a huge amount of material free without a paywall, right? Uh, and, and it really. Um, you know, it's 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 just really a novel idea, I think, that could mean a lot for the future, right? Um, where uh, where we um, uh, because it 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 presents this sort of escape from a lot of the things which from from the way of that society is run right now, which I think. You know, is is you know just allows for corruption, you know, essentially, right? Where everything is ruled by money and power, and it, it nothing is really ever about the way that you know things should be or the way that things actually are. Yeah, I think it's um, in the same way that you know some of these startups are are founded by um folks and their families, right? And their friends literally like giving them money so that they could work out of their garage to to create a product um, or a service. That as much as that kind of model uh, of business has spurred on creations like Apple and, and Amazon, that, you know, as more people are becoming more adept at using social media um, and more people are on social media, that the old ways of approaching um, and collecting information, interacting with information, like only through newspapers and, you know, these elite institutions, that that kind of 
approach is going to is going to have to move over for for these crowdfunded um, entities, and we can only hope that that, that kind of trend continues that there's uh good stuff that that keeps on getting outputted obviously like popular front um even the pseudo doxology podcast like there's a lot of great stuff right now that is um because of people's you know crowdfunding because people are willing to to pay for those things not necessarily because you know huge entities huge corporations are, are spending millions or hundreds of millions of dollars into a, a specific narrative or agenda. But yeah, that gives me like a lot of hope, like going forward. I mean, this is the, uh, not all is, is lost here. Uh, yeah. And you know, I, 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 I don't know. It, it, you really have to sort of kind of sit back and acknowledge the way that things are right now. But, you know, uh, because I don't know, there's there's like so many things that are like wrong, right, with America right now. But when something is when a, an, a, an issue or a problem is so large, like there's not there's not much you can you can do about it, right? Except except uh, sort of like wait and see, uh, sort of what comes comes out of it, right? Because um, you know. Even if you have something which is so large as like the like the Black Lives Matter protests, right? It's like it's like all of these people like went on the streets and they were like burning cop cars and police departments and stuff. And it's like, what what came out of it? You know, uh, lip service. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I mean, uh, do you think do you think the Black Lives Matter protests had like a a a measurable effect on? the US election cycle for this this term. Um like do I think that the the rioting or the protests, the organization and the message had an impact on the election? That like the question. Um I guess or or just in any way. I mean, I think it obviously impacted the election in that or at least the perception of the election in that um Certainly gave uh, a bunch of folks more concrete ideas um, to to have discussions around or to 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 vote around. Um, personally, I think that like the, the the outcome of the election is not ever determined by by protests or or riots or whatever. Um, but certainly, people's perception of it was um influenced by by the rioting by by the protest by the message that people had and the kind of demonstrations that we had this past summer um i think have impacted a lot of young people and have impacted the way that they uh view the they view government they view the nature of the political system uh we've had several kinds of these um demonstrations you know like like occupy wall street um but it's just yes it affects things but it does not affect things in the way that people really want it to be you know 
people really want to affect. Like measurable effect, <laughs> measurable impact of, of police reform. The answer is no. Like there's there's no nothing. At least nothing so far. I mean, who knows in, in five, ten years, um, people who who uh, were involved in these protests may become uh, you know, city managers or, or government officials that can have a tangible impact in those things. But I mean, so far, no, I don't think that's had a real impact in the election. I mean, what do you think? No, I, I mean, I don't, I think it, it might have sort of, um, sort of like forced politics into the public um perception right whereas um it 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 sort of um like boosted the perceived importance of this election cycle um and right because uh you know certainly um i think i don't know actually i might be wrong in terms of true numbers but i i was under perception that voter turnout this year uh, especially for the democratic party it was was higher than it had been previously um and that's part of the reason why biden won the vote right um and so i'm i'm not i don't think you know necessarily like um that that blm won the election for biden Right. I'm sure that, you know, there were maybe just as many people who were angry that young people were tearing up the streets and destroying stores and setting things on fire. Um, and, you know, might have, I'm sure that motivated people to vote for Trump, you know, in, in, uh, in, the, in the opposite way, right? Um, but what I think BLM really did is, is it um, sort of, escalated the perceived importance of politics for this year um, uh, i don't know i i just i just find blm to be um sort of really interesting because you know um if you look at other years like like they're they're you know black on like to be honest you know like black black uh you know black people are sort of you know, killed by by cops unjustly. It, you know, it just happens every year, right? There's there's going to be it hap it just happens every year. Like that statistically, it's what happens. And I'm not saying that cops don't kill white people unjustly, or or that people, I, you know, just whatever. But it's just that that what happened to George Floyd that that kickstarted all of these riots. Like it wasn't in itself a particularly. Um, unusual or unique event it was something that has happened over and over again right but in this case it it happened to, to kickstart uh national riots you know to the extent that people in other countries you know began to to express their support for this black lives matter movement right and it um is as i is i i don't really know you know what really to think of all of it because it's sort of um it, it is unique you know it's sort of hard to explain um 
um, uh, I don't know, maybe like the coronavirus lockdowns has something to do with it, right? Um, you know, uh, although I, I don't know if I really buy it when people are like, oh, people were just bored and they wanted things to do, so they went and burned Target. Like, I, I don't know about that. Um, but, um, I, well, I think like, in the same way that like, um, the story of Rosa Parks uh, has been used by uh, the civil rights activists, and even today, like being taught in school, that that phenomenon of folks refusing to move from segregated areas is not was not uncommon, you know, but the particular moment, the branding opportunity of that, right, the the potential for uh, capitalizing on that story um, was just a, you know, sometimes you just hit a home run. I mean, but, well, like, in that case, though, like, something actually came out of it. Like, I, this time, I don't, I don't really know. Well, I think it's kind of, I mean, yeah, like, something came out of it. But, like, like how you mentioned, you know, these y- young folks who participated, who were affected by these movements, you know, five, ten years down the line, they might be in positions where something actually happens. Who knows? I don't know. Um, That's fair. So I, you know, I, I'm not going to discount like Black Lives Matter to say like, well, oh, you know, you, you did all these things and what became of it? Nothing. It's pointless. Like, I'm not going to say something like that because, you know, if something happens in 40 years and someone, you know, or some entity cites the Black Lives Matter uh, demonstrations in 2020 as a particular moment in time that they were influenced, then like, you know, and if that, you know, that entity, that individual has a profound impact on society, then, then that, in, that one instance in and of itself just disproves, you know, uh, the, the, the position that, you know, Black Lives Matter movement was completely without any impact whatsoever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. Maybe if they had had a better political uh, platform than defunding the police, uh, they would have done better. Um, so I mean, you you action. look at you look at Black Lives Matter um, as as a cultural phenomenon, and even as an organization, the the point of this organization of this movement is not to bring about specific change. Like that's quite obvious. Um, because the way, like the way that they're approaching it, the message, all of those things, that kind of um, impact that they want to have is obviously not in their mind. It's like that—that's not the focus of what they're trying to do right now. I think that right now, what they're trying to do is they're trying to um, garner the—or uh, not garner, but train people's habits, train people's expectations of how to interact with. Um, you know, protesting, demonstrating, um, the the public perception of these things, so that down the line, you know, maybe 10, 15 years later, when people are kind of trained and they certain have they have certain expectations, then maybe something can happen. But I mean, it's quite obvious right now that like they they don't 
have specific things that they like. There's no unified platform, specific points, right? Actual pressure, right? Like literally all of these like um, protests and demonstrations like came to a standstill after these mayors and, and police um, officials like literally paid lip service, you know? So, uh, you know, if they, if they were really interested in, in bringing about a specific um, policy or, or very specific change within their community, then it wouldn't have stopped there. It would have stopped at the point of them, you know, applying real pressure, right? But if that's not the point, then why would you apply pressure? Yeah, that's true. But again, that's not to say that, you know, it's that the whole movement is useless or pointless or or doesn't have impact. Um, just that people, that's that's another thing with like criticisms of things. Like people are just like making stupid, stupid criticisms, stupid arguments. Um, that don't even have like the can't even consider a different perspective of how these movements operate um, or how they will operate in the future. How about the uh, how about the election cycle? Who do you, who who did you think was going to win? Because I, I know I told you that I thought Trump was going to win. Oh yeah, I thought that Trump was going to win. At least in sort of. Uh, retrospect it was sort of easier to understand why he didn't win right but i i did think he was going to win at first um uh, and and i i i sort of think that i don't know it, it almost seemed like the, the public sentiment from blm uh sort of like rode the wave over to the election cycle and it was sort of the same thing of like um where at first it was like oh if you're not blm you're not if you don't support blm you're like like you're like not a good person, and then it became like if you don't support Biden, you're not a good person, and that was something that sort of people could do, do something about uh, in a more concrete way, and so they all like went and voted Biden, um, even if you know like they they hadn't really been the kind of person who was willing to go out and riot on the street for BLM, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that your point of the the influence of the public opinion, public perspective, right, was very much in favor of that specific action, as opposed to like, you know, do you support BLM? Do you support the 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 protests? You know, you ask that to like a common individual out there, and they're like, oh, the, you know, this difficult question. You know, I don't have an opinion, whatever. Um, when it came to the election, right? Oh, who are you going to vote for? Biden or Trump? Well, if you didn't, you know, if you live in any place where you know there's a, there's a Democratic presence, right? A Democratic Party presence, you know, most people are going to say, "Oh yeah, of course, Biden," right? No doubt. And people were even very very enthusiastic about about voting for Biden, as opposed to you know 2016. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, yeah, um, yeah, it, it's like, you know, it's like part of my, 
part of my UPS work, sometimes I would go into like these really like, you know, like nice, fancy, uh, gated communities. And, uh, I would be like serving, you know, like, like five, $10 million mansions. And, and, and sometimes like these, these huge houses would have, you know, like a, a, a Biden sign and a BLM sign outside. Uh, and it's like, well, probably this person who lives in a $10 million mansion in Orange County, California, you know, probably this person didn't, you know, didn't participate in, in the riots in LA, you know, but, but for them, it was pretty simple to vote for Biden, right? And and it's like in, you know, and it's like whatever it is that they believe politically, you know, that move of voting for Biden is like sort of like an easy, it's an, it's, it's like a, it's an easy choice to make, right? If, 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 if that's the position you're coming from of like, oh, uh, you know, I'm pro BLM and then I have to choose between Biden and Trump. It's like, well, that, that is like, that choice has already been made for you. Right. Um, and not only is it easy, it's incredibly safe. Right. Yeah, exactly. Even, even though, you know, uh, a lot of those people, you know, who are rioting might not look at you in a very positive light since you live in a $10 million mansion. Like that's not, uh, really important, and it's not what people are really going to think about, right? Um, uh, and I think it'd be really interesting to sort of look back on this year and 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 see how social media affected the political climate um, leading into the election as well, right? Because uh, not only do you have sort of you have like this this sort of unique instance where you know all this footage of all these riots sort of took over social media for a while right such that like you know sort of even if you weren't uh, really interested in it um you probably saw you know videos of stuff on fire at least right um and you know they were like there's this time where sort of everything just just everything got documented you know like every time someone got uh shot or hit by an officer like the video was up online in a couple minutes um and then moving past blm into the normal election cycle you get sort of uh this sort of unprecedented thing where a presidential candidate is getting fact-checked and canceled by his social media platforms uh while he campaigns for the election and not only is he a candidate, he is the the the, the current president of the United States, right? Uh, uh, and I think it's it's so interesting that Trump, as sort of the first social media president, you know, someone who built his platform on being so active on social media and Twitter specifically, of of uh, you know, sort of. Um, connecting with his fall, like his, his like his uh, political supporter base and the outside media, in a in a way that no president had ever before, um, that this guy got sort of canceled and and betrayed by the social media platform that he was using, right? Where where you know they were putting notices on all of his tweets and saying you know like essentially you know like this is not true, you know, and like a big this big fat warning sign. Um, and I mean, if you see it in that the perspective of of the social media platform get uh, social media president getting canceled by social media, you know, it I guess it becomes easier to to see why he lost. 
Um, uh, but um, I, I I just think that it's really interesting, uh, unprecedented kind of thing um, that I don't know may or may not have uh, some I don't know interesting influence on what happens in the future. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see. I don't know if Trump will run for president again. I don't know if we'll see presidents like Trump again. Um, I don't really. I think there's a a potential for really interesting election cycles to come in the future, um, sort of as almost as a result of of the choice that we had to make this year between Biden and Trump, right? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I I think I can definitely see the influence of um, social media in the kind of perceptions of politicians or just the perception of the way people interact with politics nowadays. Um, because like, like you were saying, Trump and Twitter was like a huge thing, you know, back in 2016, even throughout his presidency up until now. Um, but we look to another, you know, very popular uh, figure in Congress, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, right? And what is she doing? She actually does like a lot of things that uh, Trump has done. Right, she uses Twitter very you know, rigorously um, compared to her colleagues. Um, she, she's live streaming. She's playing Among Us, right? And not to say that you know we'll have influencer Congress people in, in the future, but like this is the future now. You know, the the days of merely campaigning through ads in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal is is just over. Um, and even just the regular like having ads on Twitter or Instagram, like that kind of interaction, that kind of branding and selling of, of, of a message, uh, of a personality that is slowly fading away. And we have Twitter, we have Instagram, um, Snapchat, all those platforms, you know, TikTok, right? That People are taking advantage right now um, in order to play Minecraft, in order to, to, to stream, right, today. But I don't know, in five years, maybe even, maybe even sooner than five years, these platforms will be heavily used by uh, you know, potential political candidates because people in Congress are just going to get older. We're going to have new people, new fresh blood who's going to come up. Are they going to be the ones who are just going to campaign in a newspaper or through these you know, conventional uh, media forms? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, and you bring up a great point with um, AOC because, uh, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, like what we have on the internet, you know, uh, social media influencers and stuff like that, you know, you know, people are making a living now not from what necessarily like sort of what they do, but on based on who they are, right? Where it's like you're you're not pe- people aren't watching, you know, like these Minecraft streamers so that they can see Minecraft. They want to see this particular person play Minecraft, right? And um, uh, you know, and you know, uh, stuff like that is reaching over to things like um, writing, things like music, where you know people don't just want to pay for a song or pay for a book um but you know they're willing to invest in 
certain artists, certain writers and say, look, like we're interested in what you have to produce. We're going to pay you on a monthly basis and then you can produce whatever you want. Um, and it's this new uh, dynamic of paying, you know, of, of like paying for a, a, the product of a person rather than whatever that person is going to produce, right? You're, you're buying into this person, not, you know, whatever books or, or music that they have. Which, and it's a cool thing because it allows these people to escape, you know, like the, the publishing mafias and the music labels and to do things independently. Um, but I definitely think it's sort of inevitable that this is going to reach the political sphere, right? Where you're going to see politicians, um, you know, learning how to market themselves as a person uh, better, you know, like in a social media age and how to reach out to people, especially young people, um, in sort of these new ways where it's not, obviously it's going to be important what their political platform is, but it's not going to be as important as before. And it, you know, it might not, uh, swing elections in, in the way that it has before because you know if you look at historically what has happened in America you know there were some instances of in an election cycle actually whoever got elected was a very like you know not in, like an impressive individual really he didn't really have an impressive portfolio this kind of thing but you know he he brought the right political platform at the right time I really don't know if that's something that's ever going to really happen anymore in going into the future in America um because people are really invested in what people are like now right? and and uh i it you know i definitely think that a large degree of what happened in the election was not necessarily people voting for biden but voting against trump because they didn't like the person that trump that you know trump was uh sort of advertising himself to be in the persona that he had built up um um and when you, uh, you know, you, and you take AOCA, for example, you know, someone who is not only doing her political things, but, you know, playing games with influencers and, and trying to reach young people online and advocating for, for things like, like, you know, you know, making things, you know, like Twitch law, like laws about Twitch, like part of her, her platform of, of where she is sort of building up you know, this idea of who AOC is a person rather than, um, you know, a certain, you know, just like talking about her political platform. Um, I definitely think this is the, the sort of the new dynamic that we can start to expect going into the future. Um, because, um, I mean, obviously, if you look at AOC and the amount of success and uh, 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 support that she has in comparison to um, her peers in, a, in like a popular sense, not necessarily a... Uh, like an internal political power sense, right? Um, that people are going to start realizing that this is the way to go. Um, she did get looked over for a position recently, right? In the in the cabinet. Yeah, I'm not um, entirely sure of the reasoning behind that. Pretty sure it's not because she played Among Us with uh, Mr. Beast or whomever. <laughs> yeah. um, I actually don't like Mr. Beast. I cannot believe you associated <laughs> with him. Um, you know, because of that, Senator uh, Ocasio Cortez, we will you know pass you up on this. <laughs> well, but I'm sure that you know, sort of from like the older, uh, more entrenched Democratic Party, like 
they probably don't, you know, really understand everything she's trying to do. Don't really understand, like, you know, like this young person came up and started talking, you know, sort of like being really loud. And for some season, like, you know, a lot of people are really like into what she has to say. So, um, I think it's like the posture, like everyone, control. Yeah, I think everyone, you know, at that that level, like postulates and like talks loud, but it's just like she does it in a way that that this older generation of politicians and even of of Americans, frankly, don't understand. You know, like, like even I was talking with like my dad, and he's like, "Why do people like watch other people play the video game?" When you can play the video game yourself, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, it, you know, it's not so much that there's this whole logical reason or whatever, um, but it's like instead of of looking at the the this phenomenon and trying to understand it, so many times, um, you know, parents even kind of just look at it and be like, no, nah, this is. This is messed up. What the heck is this? What what is this newfangled nonsense that no, I'm looking at? I mean, at? no, no. It, it's not even that they don't understand it, right? Because actually they do understand it, right? Like it's like it's the same thing as like, you know, like watching Anthony Bourdain eat and talk about food uh on 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 TV. Like it's exactly the same concept, right? Of it can be entertaining to watch someone else do something. Um but I think it's it's not it's not the you know the the main thing you know whatever the Bourdain versus uh, watching uh, Mr. Beast or whomever like that's the same thing. But it's like the the platform, the whole scope of the interaction with the individual is is just from the foundation completely different from just watching someone have a TV show about you know eating food and traveling. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't know if I would agree. Completely different, but it's certainly not the same, right? It's an evolution of entertainment or, or whatsoever. Um, and I think it's more of um, when you know, sort of, the older generation senses that there has been a changing of the times. That something is not the same as it used to be. That generally speaking, they they might not be so motivated to understand what's uh, what has happened, right? Sometimes there's this, uh, there's this sort of knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, it's new, it's the young thing, it's like, it's it's not something to do with me, um, and so it's you know, they aren't interested. Um, I mean, which is one thing when it's like your dad, you know, talking about Minecraft streamers, and it's another thing when it's, uh, when it's Joe Biden picking his cabinet, right? But yeah, I don't. I don't know. Certainly, times are changing, right? And and we're actually still very fresh and new into the sort of internet age, and the effects of that on things which are still very predominantly controlled by the older generation, uh, things like politics, uh, corporate. Um, you know, we we are yet to really see the full extent of what is going to happen there because of changes of technology. Uh, because certainly, if you look to the 1920s and what happened after that, uh, a lot of things changed in America, right? And 
in uh you know in in the same that in that in that same way it was because of sort of changes in technology and changes in industrialization um and we're essentially just going to see the same thing uh in you know moving forward in this century such that it's really not possible to really predict what's going to happen right just that things are going to change <laughs> yeah um that being said, um, United States probably isn't as in as good of a position this century as it was sort of last century, uh, in the wake of World War One or going into World War Two. Um, if in the last century United States was really trying to do its best to solidify its position in the international sphere and like solidify its power. Um Right now, we're really seeing a time where sort of everyone is trying to push back against that, right? Um, certainly, all of the, um, yeah, I mean, everyone really, you know, the EU, everyone from the EU to China to Russia to India. It and it's not like because they hate Americans, right? But it's because it's in their, the interest of their countries, you know, to to have the most influence on, on on their own not only their own sphere of their own country but in you know within their sphere of influence and and having being able to have that control and influence is also partly contingent in in you know not having outside forces uh you know come in and have their way with what you're trying to do right so um Certainly, you know, sort of an uncertain time in terms of not only what's going to happen in America, but um, our foreign affairs as well. Yeah, personally, I think that the issues um, surrounding foreign affairs is definitely more interesting um, and has that like element of mystique to it compared to like American domestic politics. Um, I mean, what do you think? I find it definitely way more interesting um, to be to have discussions and, and speculations about that than like, oh, is it going to be Trump or Biden? Well, you know, and and that was actually like one of the only sort of concrete arguments that I saw made about you know whether Trump or Biden was better, and it was that Biden. Um, would almost definitely act more in the interest of the Kurds in Syria uh, than Trump was, where, you know, where Trump had arguably made like one of the biggest betrayals in sort of military alliance history of of telling the Kurds that he would <laughs> he would secure their interests in Syria, and then he just absolutely, you know, he just after after the war of ISIS sort of ended with the with the final defeat with. If ISIS uh, and, and the dispersal of ISIS, um, he just withdrew all of the American troops out of there and, and left the Kurds to their own devices um, to continue the, the the sort of Syrian civil war. Um, and and so what I had seen some of the the Kurds that I have uh, that I follow on 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 the on, on the internet, what I'd seen some of them saying was that you know like Biden would be a much better choice for them 
than Trump would, uh, which is definitely almost, you know, almost definitely true uh, uh, in terms of Biden's foreign policy stances, uh, sort of in the sort of the still, you know, I mean, he's like so old, right? He's just, he's sort of the out of the same style of the, the older American uh, Democrats and interventionalist and, uh, you know, believing in this idea of uh, preserving American interests abroad, this kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of broader foreign affairs, um, it's, you know, I, I mean, actually, I've been, you know, I've been like checking Twitter periodically during this while we record this podcast because uh, um, this is the one-year anniversary of the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, the leader of the Iranian Revolutionary Forces. Um, that was in 2020. Um, we took him out of a drone while he was riding around in an SUV. Um, and that was a big deal. And it almost... Um, well, I don't know if all, you could really say almost, but there was a lot of talk about you know whether United States and Iran would be at war, and you know consequently, uh, Iran had been talking a lot about um, making a um, you know a, of of making some kind of action against the United States embassy in Iraq um, on the anniversary of of what happened, which is why I've been checking Twitter like just to see if actually anything had happened, um, which. So far, it looks like nothing has, but you know, who knows as of yet. Uh, but it, Iran is uh, another country that the United States has had a lot of tension with, um, especially over the course of 2020. Um, and of which, you know, it's kind of hard to say what really is going to happen there, right? Because um, obviously, the United States doesn't really want all out war with Iran. Um, but at the same time, we're, you know, apparently willing to take out their military leaders just whenever we want and to expect no real retaliation for it. Um, and so from the perspective of Iran, um, they, you know, they almost kind of have to do something or else they're going to look like, you know, they're just going to let America do whatever they want uh, going into the future, which isn't really what they want either, right? Um, because they want to have sort of... Uh, you know they want they want to not only secure their own interests in their own country, but uh, American sanctions on Iran have been so extreme that actually during the course of the COVID pandemic, Iran was unable to secure um, enough equipment to take care of all of its uh, coronavirus uh, 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 victims or patients. You know they 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 couldn't get their hands on medication. They couldn't get ventilators, stuff like that, and so. Um, uh, the coronavirus was a big deal in Iran, not only because of you know it was a big deal everywhere, but because they didn't have any medical equipment to do anything about it. Um, as a direct result of American sanctions on Iran. Um, so, you know, uh, twenty twenty, sort of a lot of things happened, um, and with the change from Trump to Biden. Um, we can definitely expect changes in American foreign policy uh, going into the future. Um, but, you know, 
exactly what's going to happen, who knows, kind of. Especially when the United States in this, is in this position of being sort of the predominant power around, uh, around the world. And it being in the American interest to preserve the status quo and sort of everyone else's interest to disrupt the status quo. Um, so from the perspective of America, you know, it's kind of hard to say what's going to happen because they constantly have to hedge their bets and try to guess what everyone is going to do about it. Uh, whereas, you know, the perspective is different from the outside because they just do whatever is in the interest of their own country. It, it's really hard to say, you know, and uh, at least for now, like there's people who are saying, we're, you know, that like war of China is imminent. And I just don't believe anything like that. I really think that we're past, sort of past the, the area of, of all-out war. Um, Are there people like actually saying that, like we're gonna attack yeah, China? No, like, no, I think that China. The, there are people who think that China will attack us, and that, um, sort of, uh, because uh, because of, uh, I mean, the political situation currently in China is sort of tense. Um, because China has been pursuing this sort of nationalistic policy of, of um, pushing very hard to preserve their own interests and to sort of cut off American interests um, sort of wherever they can. Um, and, uh, you know, like part of that was, um, you know, what happened in Hong Kong, um, uh, which of course has been happening uh, way back since. 2019 um but um yeah people people have been worried about china um i think at least i don't know i think more i, I definitely don't think we're gonna be you know at war with china or really anyone else for the time being um uh you know since uh, after after World War Two, we really moved into the to the to a an area an era of where like you know like we use of it's like like rather than having all out war, we have proxy war, and we use like you know like these third world countries in the middle as like a, a as like a playing field for for like chess games, you know. Um, and it's like well, we're we're not gonna have war on American soil, but we're gonna have war. On Afghan soil or Syrian soil instead, and that's like how we're gonna fight out all of our, our, uh, you know, our our, our wars. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, um, with things like cyber terrorism, or or even you know like terrorism. Which is made possible through technology. Um, the battlefield is really going to change over the next few decades, right? If, if, we're, if we're going to talk specifically about um, things like, you know, like things like war and terrorism, right? Because, um, because you know, you have this age of like of like cyber hacking, where you know, you, I don't know, where like everyone has like their their team of hackers and. They just like take things out of the other country's network, you know, once in a while. 
Um, but the thing about stuff like that is it doesn't actually like achieve, it doesn't really achieve anything, right? It's like you're just, I don't know, reminding the other side that you're still there, right? Um, but that's only sort of what has been possible up until now. Um, and there's a possibility that, you know, that's going to progress to a point where that could be very major, right? Where it's like, you're not losing cell reception, you're losing, you know, the continental power grid or something like that, right? Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's going to happen, I'm not saying it's possible, but I'm saying, you know, we don't really know what we're moving into at this point of time, right? And it's like Boston Dynamics has like their dancing robot. But eventually that's, you know, so eventually someone's going to give the robot a gun, right? You know, in fact, it's already happening, right? It's like uh, United States, UK, Russia, you know, everyone is experimenting with their robot tanks and stuff. Um, and so when we talk about foreign affairs, you know, it's like, you know, sure, we, we have things like the, the conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh between Ar Armenia and Azerbaijan. You know, we still have these conventional wars and these these things where, you know, one side is going to go and fight the other side and, and you know, one side's going to win and the other side's going to lose and this side's going to lose land and this side's going to gain land. We're going to have gridlocked civil wars like Yemen and Syria, you know, where, where you know, like once, you know, like they're, they're just going to fight forever, you know, um, and, you know, the, and nothing really is going to change from year to year. Um, at least for the time being, you know, um, uh, um, but it's really hard to say what's going to happen moving into the future because, um, already we can see that technology is changing the battlefield and how things are done on the battlefield. And that's going to have more effects than just like, oh, um, is like oh like now there's like robot soldiers now and instead of human soldiers that like that's not going to be the only the only change right technology had this huge change on the way we did warfare um if you compare world war one to uh vietnam and then the war on terror like there's this huge huge change in in tactics and and how war is conducted um not only on the battlefield but in a political sense um from the from the you know the boardroom and the joint the chiefs of staff like the way that um the way that war is conceived is not is nowhere close to what it was back in uh world war one right in the in the early early stages of the last century and right now as we continue to see technology changing at this incredibly fast pace you know where it's it's not just people shooting at each other, but it's people, you know, flying a grenade with a, a DJI Phantom and dropping a grenade through your Humvee hatch. I'm not making this up, okay? ISIS, ISIS, ISIS has been doing this for like years, right? They've got these Chinese knockoff DJI Phantoms, and they they literally will fly a grenade and they can drop a grenade through the hatch of your vehicle with precision, right? And if we see technology changing, we see things like you see, we're going to see things that become possible that people cannot even conceptualize outside of fiction, right? Like, 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 you know, we're going to see like, you know, 
like now you can have like a swarm of drones not like one drone but you can have a swarm of drones and can you imagine you know what kind of terrorist attack that would entail you know where you can not only fly in a, a, an explosive with one drone but you can fly a hundred you can fly a hundred explosives out with with a hundred drones and coordinate them simultaneously to detonate in wherever you want right and it's you know the times are changing very quickly and that's going to change um it's going to change foreign affairs um and you know i don't know what kind of preparations are being made um in the american government but i can almost kind of bet that we aren't making the preparations as forward as forward seeing uh, preparations as other countries are like russia and china who who understand that they don't have the power now but are looking ahead to um what's going to happen in the future and are working very hard towards that goal right um so um i, I mean I, I don't mean to proclaim doom for the united states of america um uh because you know I mean, there's no way to make that kind of prediction. But uh, certainly, um, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, there's a, a really wide range of things that could happen, I guess, going on from here. <laughs> and there's really no way to know. It's interesting, to say the least. It, it's definitely interesting. Um, and, you know, it's it's a um, I mean, and something we could talk about too was, well, I don't know if there's a whole lot to talk about here, but there was also a ton of natural disasters apart from coronavirus that happened in 2020, right? Uh, there were wildfires in Australia that were really bad in the beginning of 2020. And then there were really bad wildfires on the Western coast of the United States and the summer um there were major earthquakes turkey greece and mexico um the atlantic hurricanes were some of the worst the worst some of the worst uh one of the worst hurricane seasons that we've actually seen before although you know over here in california we don't really have to worry about it um there were uh uh <laughs> you know there was like really bad locust swarms in eastern africa apparently um, and I mean, you can't really say this a natural disaster, but there was a disaster of the Beirut explosion. You know, there's a really bad explosion that happened in Beirut and Lebanon that claimed a lot of lives. Um, I mean, so as a whole, 2020, um, e even without, you know, all of the very major things that happened, it was, a, you know, pretty a significant year, right? Um, I don't know. Do you, I, do you, I mean, I don't know. We kind of don't really think about this kind of thing, right? We we wouldn't necessarily be talking about this kind of thing um, if sort of there wasn't this perspective or narrative that 2020 was so bad, you know? Because maybe, maybe like, you know, bad earthquakes actually happen pretty, you know, I know that they happen pretty periodically, but maybe this year wasn't actually that special. Right, you know, maybe it wasn't that special in terms of the fires or the hurricanes or whatever. Um, 
uh, I don't know. Do, do you think that has sort of like the number of natural disasters seems to be increasing from year to year? Like earthquakes and, and wildfires and, and such? Yeah. I mean, things like earthquakes or, or tsunamis or even hurricanes, um, I'm not really sure about those in particular. Um, then things like wildfires, um, even hurricanes to a certain degree, you know, that, that gets into the whole discussion about climate change and uh, that, that huge um, conversation and, and the assumptions underlying that and the perspectives of that as well of, you know, well, things are getting worse, things are getting better. Five-year span, 10-year span, 50-year span. Um, but I think for this year in particular, the media and running stories, anything that's sensational, right, was literally gold because people are stuck at home. Um, you, you know, people are already anxious. They're already uh, on the edge of their seats. And then announcing that we've got like murder hornets that are going to go through the, the Midwest is, um, you know, whether or not it, it, it is a new phenomenon, serious phenomenon, unusual phenomenon, whatever, uh, you know, it'll make more headlines. Um, it'll get more press. It'll be impressed upon people's memory, you know, more heavily than possibly a different year um, in which, you know, uh, it's not like wildfires or, or these things don't occur every single year. Just a matter of people reporting it um, and people remembering what happened. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to talk about um, impending doom due to climate change, then we should also talk about uh, um, the fact that, you know, the first manned SpaceX flight happened this year as well. And so, you know, then you just have Elon Musk preparing to bring all of humanity over to Mars, you know, you know and, right. uh, <laughs> just to save the Earth. And so, um, I don't know. It's sort of a, I don't know. I mean, like, who knows, right? Like, like I don't know. Maybe, maybe in, maybe in, uh, twenty one twenty, you know, they'll be getting ready to fly off and just leave the Earth behind, right? Um, certainly with the 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 speed with which the world has been changing, that's not that inconceivable. At least I think, right? It's like that um, movie, um. What, Interstellar, yeah, yeah. With, with Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> no, it's like Among Us, man. <laughs> In twenty one twenty, everyone will be playing Among Us, but for real. Oh, for real, <laughs> yes, yeah. Which is a precursor, it's a prophecy. Uh, I, I, you know, one thing I like about doing this sort of recap episode and talking about twenty twenty in retrospect is. Um, it really gives sort of a a 
context in, in a way you know it like it allows you to step back and be like okay well all of those things happened in the course of a single year um but also you know it's it's a clean it's almost a clean slate movie well that's not it's not necessarily the right way to put it anything could happen moving forward right um and you know sort of you know as 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 much as you know some people might end up getting stuck in 2020 and not being able to escape it or you know sort of like going forward through life and uh and not sort of growing out of the uh perspectives that or or beliefs that grew out of this year um what i'm really trying to get at is that you know sort of uh everything is like so much larger right and it's like then then at least like the mainstream perspective of 2020 as like the worst year ever and whatsoever and it's like you know really at the end of the day like no nobody knows what's going to happen this year and what's going to know what's going to happen in 100 years um and so just like this year just like every year before it and it's going to be true with every year going forward is that you know the only thing you can do um is like sort of make the best out of your circumstances as you can um and you know to do your best to sort of take control of your 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 own perspective and and to understand that you know you get to build your own narrative and you know you don't have to buy into you know whatever you know crappy things that everyone else is saying because you know just because just because everyone else says that 2020 is the worst year ever doesn't mean that it has to be the worst year ever for you right because you get to make your own year for yourself um is there anything else you want to talk about before you wrap up um no i think we covered everything and i think then future episodes we'll definitely revisit what has happened in 2020 um because <laughs> compared to what some people um maybe expressing on social media like oh thank god that 2020 is dead you know the it's not like problems uh you know magically change just because we add another number to 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 the year um so we'll definitely be revisiting some of the issues some of the events uh and perspectives that 2020 has offered us and yeah they may be good they may be bad who knows mm -hmm. Well, thanks you so much for joining me, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, this was really uh, sort of a fun discussion to have. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I guess happy 2021. Hope everyone <laughs> yeah. makes the most of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a good 2021, guys. And, you know, we'll we'll see you in the next one. Um. I know I keep like making promises about episodes and stuff, and then we'll, we're just like busy people and we're doing our best here. And, uh, you know, yeah. So this time, that's not going to make a promise about what the next one will be. <laughs> so, I said there will be a next one. Yes. I, I can promise that there will be another one. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And, uh, yeah. Happy New Year. <laughs>